Ma Coco? Aye. For Maui, it's a new beginning. With honor and deep respect, we're moving forward. We're ready to get people back to work. We all have to do our part, and we'll make this happen. Working together. We're ready. Ready to work. All ready. 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 We are ready. For more information, visit makokomoe.com. Aloha. I'm Lynn Kawano with the other side of paradise. I don't know many people who can say they've had a 45-year career and working for the same employer. John McCarthy finally retired last year from the Honolulu Police Department as the second in command, a deputy chief. I wish I had stayed. Uh, I would have still been there under the you know, different circumstances. He explains the circumstances that pushed him out, his frustrations with the department, the long, drawn-out process to pick a new chief, the public corruption scandal that rocked the department, and how it all affected the rank and file. You're 45 years, that's, that's a long career. When you look mm -hmm. back, what's, what's the highlights of your career? You know, a lot of things happened during 45 years. A lot of things changed. Um, highlights, I, I don't have any real regrets, but I mean, the, the regrets come in a form of, I wish I could have done better. I wish I could have done more. Um, I was very fortunate enough to work in narcotics for about 12 years. And um, most of that time I spent with the Drug Enforcement Administration, uh, working at the airport task force, learned a ton about police work. I learned a lot. Um, there was a special agent who's passed away now, Dick Gumshaw. And uh, the guy taught me a lot. He was smart about search and seizure, warrants. We used to bang out search warrants in less than an hour. It took us longer to go and find the judge to get it signed. And of course, you know, we did so many, it was, it was really good. I mean, we had a good rapport with the prosecutor's office, good rapport with the judges. When I was with DA, we delivered heroin. I can actually say I delivered heroin to other places in the United States. We'd intercept the heroin coming in from Southeast Asia. Um, the courier would agree to cooperate and take it onto the destination. And we'd go along. Um, there was one case where we delivered a kilo of heroin to a uh, place in uh, LA and uh, right on Venice Boulevard. Then from there, I mean, eventually I made uh, detective. Had a lot of fun as a detective trying to do uh, different things, you know, uh, working with DNA, starting with DNA. Back then, DNA was used primarily for uh, homicides or sex assaults. So we started applying it to uh, um, property crimes and other crimes um, because, I mean, it's, it's so good. Uh, we created a, a, a kit that um, beat officers could use because they would have burglaries, say, where they find blood, guys would cut themselves on a jealousy or leave blood on a bedspread. So we designed this kit that they could carry and they could actually recover the uh, DNA or the blood sample that could be tested later on to determine you know, who, who the suspect might be. So that was pretty cool. McCarthy rose through the ranks. He was a lieutenant in financial crimes, a captain in the criminal investigations division. Then, under Chief Susan Ballard, became the deputy chief. The worst years were probably as deputy chief because, I mean, was, everything was just a fight for, you know, a lot of things. And 
you know, having having to negotiate everything, um, you know, where it shouldn't have been like that. But um, you know, just I, it's almost there was a um, movie where the guy is old and grows young. I forget the name of it, but um, you almost wish you could do that because there's no substitute for experience in law enforcement. So, you know. Knowing now, if I only knew then what I know now, I could have done a better job. McCarthy and Ballard had a falling out in the final months of her time as chief. He won't go into specifics, but it's clear the division remains. Ballard retired on June 1st, 2021, after receiving bad marks from the Honolulu Police Commission. She stopped showing up for work in the weeks leading up to her departure. I'm the chief, I can do anything I want was something I heard often. Well, you are the chief, but you can't do anything you want. There's consequences. It's like free speech. I can say anything I want, but there's a limit to what I can say and do. Uh, you know, you get in trouble for that. You really have to set the tone. You got to know what you're doing and, and you got to do it. And you got you to look. Some of those decisions are hard. You got to make hard decisions because they're the right decisions to be made. Not, you don't want to make the popular decision. You expect more. The police are in the limelight. Uh, they get more attention. And, and, you know, there's less margin for error in police work than there are in a lot of other jobs. So, you know, that's important. You, you really got to gotta get somebody who can think, somebody who can work with people, somebody who can walk the walk, talk the talk. Those are really important characteristics, I think, in uh, police work. And it's something that, you know, we just haven't been seeing. Many believed McCarthy would take over as interim chief until the commission could fill the role. He was the highest ranking officer at that time. But instead, the interim role was given to assistant chief, Raddy Vanek, who has half the experience. McCarthy retired. Under different circumstances, I would have stayed. I have some very deep feelings about that. Um, it, it took me quite a while to get over those feelings. Um, in fact, I don't, I, I don't think I'm even over it yet. I hate to come across as angry or, or, or spiteful or mad, but I, it's, it's just, it didn't go well. And, and regardless of who was involved, um, just the way, it, it, if you change the names, but you kept the circumstances, the feelings are the same. McCarthy is critical of the process the Honolulu Police Commission is using to fill the top spot, spending six months to hire a consultant to filter out the candidates and come up with finalists. It will be a full year on June 1. In that time, eight candidates withdrew and other high-ranking chiefs also retired. You know, the commission plays a big role in this and, and the commission doesn't do their job. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They haven't been doing what they're supposed to be doing for a long time. They're taking a long time to find a new chief. In the meantime, that you think makes things worse for all the officers and for HD, HPD? It does. You know, with the current interim, uh, a lot of things uh, were made worse. There were promotions that no interim chief ever made before. Um, you know, you just don't make, 
the new chief coming in now has no room to pick the people that he wants or she wants, you know, in those positions, you know, you, you're kind of stuck with this group that the, uh, the interim uh, selected. And when you're the interim, I mean, you're basically, Kario Kimoto did a great job. He kept the, the ship afloat without, you know, minimizing controversy, maintaining what he had to do without, um, you know, leaving a mess for the next chief, so to speak. Kerry Okimoto was the interim police chief before Ballard after Louis Kealoha was paid a quarter of a million dollars to retire. Kealoha is currently in a federal prison in Oregon. The public corruption scandal that took down Kealoha and his wife Catherine, a former city prosecutor, and two other police officers had a trickle-down effect. It's a morale breaker. You start seeing things like uh, in, in the KLO case, you knew he was, he got a target letter, yet he remained as the chief. It was kind of new ground for HPD2 at the time. But I mean, when you receive a target letter, you, you, you're, you know, in the sights there, something's wrong. This, it's just more than rumor or innuendo. So, you know, there was a lot of double standard uh, during a KLO time, and that, that hurt uh, morale with the majority of the officers that were working. And then to see that he got this $250,000 payoff, despite the target letter, you know, how did that then affect all of you seeing, well, not only that, he's getting paid to go away now. You know, I never got paid to retire. Uh, uh, he, he got paid and he got his retirement benefits. So, I mean, uh, that, that was really unusual. I, in my 45 years, I never saw that. But then again, I never saw cases like Kale Laws. Um, you know, it, to, to give them something like that, uh, that, that was another, just another blow to the rank and file. How come he gets it? We don't, we never got a bonus to retire. Um, so, I mean, and, and that's what it was. Uh, but I, I think a lot of politics were involved. So, you know, the, the counter argument is, well, it's better to pay him off than to go through a long drawn out lawsuit where I might pay more. Or I, I just have to pay more because of the length of the lawsuit. So it's cheaper to do it this way. Well, it might be cheaper, but it's not the right thing to do. What's the biggest change that you've seen in the way crime affects Honolulu? You know, right now we see all the fentanyl, the meth, and, mm -hmm. and a lot more murders involving guns, with right. ghost guns, all that. What is the biggest leap that you've I, seen? I guess when, when I came in back in the 70s, um, there was organized crime. I mean, and it was in the media all the time, um, but there was more respect. As time progressed, you know, we started seeing the rise of street gangs, uh, drugs, uh, especially methamphetamine came in. Prior to that, I mean, we always had our small heroin population. Uh, cocaine, of course, was big during the 70s, 80s. Um, you always had your marijuana, but the gangs became, I guess, younger, less respectful. Um, less, less organized in a sense, um, more infighting, more rivalries. Uh, and we see, we see a lot of that today. The game rooms, that's a lot of the shootings we have, uh, a lot of drug activity we have all concentrate among game rooms. And those game rooms, again, going back to a matter of respect, um, you know, back in the seventies, it was in certain areas, certain bars, um, just certain areas. And, the, you know, they had respect. 
now the game gambling houses, the game rooms, are moved into communities. They're in they're in residential areas. Um, you know, there's shootings all the time. Um, just just robberies. Um, you know, you might win. Uh, maybe you go in, you win big on their fish game or whatever. They follow you home to take back the winnings. So there's a robbery at the uh, residence again now. A lot of complicated moves, but I think a lot of it is less respect. And of course, drugs, gambling go hand in hand. You know, um, gambling, lots of cash, fast. Drugs, high risk, but big um, profit. So, I mean, they go hand in hand and then you start doing that. And now you got the shootings that come into play, the assaults. Uh, it, it, it just really brings down the neighborhood when that happens. Murders in Honolulu are spiking this year. Between January 1st and May 15th, there have been 14. HPD hasn't released the numbers from 2021, but in 2020, there were 19 total, 24 total before the pandemic, years 2018 and 2019. We're currently on track for more than 30, and the use of guns and violent crime incidents are on the rise too. Prior to this, you'd have to buy a gun legally, which means obtaining a permit, going through a background check, and that sort of thing, and registering it, or you stole it. Um, you know, we, we'd see sometimes organized efforts to steal guns. Uh, they knew if somebody had guns at the house, they'd burglarize the house, rob the house, get the guns, that kind of thing. Some rarely you see guns shipped in and out, you know, in that manner by the crooks. Um, now with ghost guns, you go up online, you can use a credit card, you don't necessarily use your own credit card, and you order a kit, you get it. It's in a couple of pieces. It has a, a jig that tells you drill here, drill there, put in this screw, and you assemble a gun. And now you got a gun that's not registered, usually not traceable. Uh, you know, the barrel might have a serial number, but the frame doesn't. And if it does, it doesn't match. Uh, even though Hawaii law requires you to register it, it's like, yeah, I got it in the mail. How do you know I even got it? Why should I register it? So the availability of these guns, I mean, think about it. It's just, it's, 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 it's like Amazon. When you think about it, I just go online, order it. It doesn't take much skill to assemble it. And I got a gun. What would you suggest? You know, I, I've heard many people say targeted enforcement, right? Go to these places where the game rooms are. Go. What would you oh, yeah. like to see yeah. to bring this down? No, you're hearing exactly right, targeted enforcement. And that doesn't mean that we get a group of people that just target someplace. It takes a concerted effort from the police department, even their partners and the community to get together and start taking action. There's things that patrol officers can do. There's things that the detective division can do. There's things that vice officers can do. So you just have to go after these people and start enforcing the law, start breaking it down. You don't... I was always taught, and, and it's so true, if you take away the small things, the big things don't happen. Um, so that you gotta get into that kind of enforcement mode and you, you have to be willing to do it. But again, it goes right back to the problems I said. The police don't have support. Um, the community members don't trust police in some cases because you know, you, for you, for example, I stop you and you stepped off the curb against the red light. I stop you, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I have to cite you and stuff. I might have saved your life because the next two steps you took, but a, a car might have cleaned you out. But we don't know that, right? But then what happens is you're angry because I stopped you, I embarrassed you, I gave you a citation. 
anti-police sentiment is sweeping the country. It's making it hard to fill vacancies. HPD has had more than 300 vacancies for years, and recruitment is getting even tougher. You look at the demand for the officers, the shortage of uh, officers now, uh, you know, the, the police department is in a world of hurt, which translates to, uh, you know, a basic threat to public safety. Who wants to be a policeman nowadays? Policemen are second guessed all the time. Um, you know, the, the pay isn't especially good. They've taken away some retirement benefits from the, the newer employees where you had better benefits before you don't have now. Um, it, it's just a tough job to do. I, we get a lot of recruits that come in. They, they, they test well. They're hired. Then they realize that, hey, this is real. You know, you're going to carry a gun. You're going to get up in fights. You're going to be in people's face. People are going to question you. This isn't for me. You know, a lot of stress and stress not only on the officers, but on the family as well. So it's a difficult job, but I, I, it's real hard. It, it takes a special person to actually get involved in and try to do a good job. How much of an effect does that really have on the officers when the community doesn't support them the way they used to? I think that, you know, everybody wants that attaboy or they want that support. And I think it's more, more so in police work. Uh, the one thing that really irritated me throughout my police career is people would see in uniform and they'd scold the kids and say, don't, you know, I'm gonna, you better behave or I'm gonna tell a policeman. Well. One, that's not my job, but don't make me a bad guy. This kid grows up thinking everybody in uniform is a bad guy after that. Um, you know, it, it's that. and I, I'm, I'm going to come straight out and say it, but prosecution and courts and corrections, you know, are you know, that and, you know, the police are the entry to into the criminal justice system. Those other parts are badly broken and need to be fixed. The police get out there, you arrest people. Uh, there was a, something on the news recently about somebody with 52 arrests for property crime. They finally charged them for the felony. Uh, I understand it, it's tough, but I mean, you know, these people need to be incarcerated. They're, they're placing, how many of these people have gone in, come out and commit crimes? The recidivism rate is just super high. So, you know, after a while, the police get kind of jaded. It's like, why should I go there and do anything when nobody does anything after I do something? So, you know, it, it the, the cookie just crumbles and, and everybody's got to do their job. And that's the problem. Not everybody's doing their job. The police need support from the prosecutors and the courts. And I'm not asking the prosecutors and the courts to do anything they shouldn't be doing. They should be prosecuting these cases and the courts should be taking actions and punishing these people. Um, you know, a lot of these people have multiple offense. Um, and, and even if it's the first offense, consider the, the seriousness of the nature of the violation. Uh, um, what could have happened? Uh, we, we got away from that kind of stuff. Current HPD recruit classes have about 30 to 50 people. McCarthy remembers more than 2,000 applicants when he tested for HPD in the 70s. The test for police cadet came up and somebody just mentioned, hey, why don't you go take the test? So um, I walked in, sat down, and the monitor goes up and he says, you know, we've got, we've got you know, more than 2,000 applicants. We might take only the top 10. I'm sitting there going, there's got to be 10 guys in here better than me. You know, 
but I was too embarrassed to stand up and walk out. So I stayed for the test. And within a, a week or two, I was really fast. I got a notification. I think I got a phone call. You did well on the exam. We're going to start pushing you through the next phase. And I mean, they really pushed us through fast. And I, I as it turned out, I, I always scored number three on the exam. Um, I wish I'd kept my card. I, I, I think I lost it. I don't have it anymore. But the notification, um, I, I still have my letter that tells me I was hired and to report to duty. I always thought I was too small to be a policeman. Um, I, I, ne I, ne I never I never dreamed it would turn into a 45-year career. I never thought that I would make marks like with the Supreme Court cases. And I never thought I'd ever rise to, to the rank of deputy chief. I mean, you always think, yeah, you know, I want to be chief. And it's like, nah, nah, I don't want to be chief after a while. You did not apply to be chief. And a lot of people um, have questioned that, you know, is that something you would consider down the road or, or are you done? Are you retired? I'm retired right now. I'm giving you a straight answer. I'm retired right now, but I'm open to anything, to doing things. Um, I think I still have things to contribute. Uh, however, the powers that be, I don't think would let me contribute. You know, there's a, there's a degree of politics no matter what. Sounds like McCarthy is willing to come out of retirement under some circumstances. He would not offer details, but he says, it depends on who becomes Honolulu's next chief of police. That's episode 18 of The Other Side of Paradise. Mahalo for listening. I'm Lynn Kawan.